Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, well, today is just me. Today, I'm talking about my latest project, my next book, which is all about how to fund a game on Kickstarter. It's called Board Game Kickstarter Advice from the Best in the World. It's a follow-up to the book that I put out last year in which I, I did a ton of interviews. Last year, I did a ton of interviews for a book called Board Game Design Advice, and it was all about how to become a better designer. And I interviewed over 150 designers for that one and just got their best tips and tricks and insights and wisdom and advice on all things design related. And so I wanted to do a follow-up book to that one. And so this one is all about Kickstarter, focuses on Kickstarter. And so I interviewed uh, 50, is actually going to, I think, be a little more than 50 by the end of the project. But I wanted to focus on Kickstarter specifically for this one on how to fund a project, how to go from zero to funded. And so all the questions I asked these creators, and, and so first of all, I reached out to just the top of the top as far as creators uh, for the most part. Now, I did also reach out to some first timers. I wanted to kind of balance things out with people who had just, you know, wrapped up their first Kickstarter and had a lot of success. Uh, and I also have a just a ton of people in there who had made, you know, 100000 200000 half million dollars, million dollar plus, $3 million plus on Kickstarter through various projects. I wanted to have just as much wisdom and advice from all different angles, all different perspectives as I could find. And so I went out and found just over 50 of the, of the best creators on the planet and asked them all sorts of questions uh, about marketing, about fulfillment, about stretch goals, updates, how to put together a really good looking uh, project page, just everything that I could think of. I asked them 13 specific questions just to get their ideas, their, their insights on, on how to run a successful campaign. And then this book is a little bit different in that it's not only interviews. Interviews make up uh, probably a little over half of the book, but the other half is actually going to be articles and essays in, in which I, I write the majority of those. And, and those go into um, more specific topics as well, maybe in a little bit more depth than some of the questions. I'm going to take a lot of my own personal experience, also have some other contributors help me out with that as far as writing about marketing. I'm not an expert in marketing. I know a good bit, but I am nowhere near an expert. So uh, I found uh, an expert in that field, Andrew Lowen. He's going to be uh, contributing in the marketing section for, for, for that chapter. But I'm going to be using a ton of my own personal uh, experience and just stories, anecdotes, things like that for a lot of the other chapters in the book, things that I, I felt like maybe needed to go into a little bit more depth than what the uh, just kind of generalized questions in the interview Q&As uh, went into. And so anyway, for this particular podcast episode, I just wanted to talk through some of my favorite parts of the books and my favorite excerpts from these different interviews and uh, just kind of give you a taste of what is in there and also just offer up as much value as I possibly can. So even if you don't buy the book, I just I still want you to gain value, gain some wisdom from these incredible creators that, that took the time. I really appreciate them taking the time to offer up their answers to these questions. And I'm actually recording this on the day that I've launched the Kickstarter. So if you're listening to this, the first day this podcast airs that yesterday on Tuesday, 
March 17th. And uh, I wanted to wait until now to record because I wasn't entirely sure how the project was going to go. Uh, Kickstarter is always a bit of a crapshoot anyway, even when, you know, the world's not kind of going crazy and everywhere, <laughs> everywhere is on lockdown. Uh, it's even still always, you know, kind of a risk and, and you're not sure what, what's going to happen. Uh, but I especially didn't know what was going to happen with the world being kind of in the state that it is currently in. And uh, I definitely just, just have people all over the world uh, on my mind and hoping that you're staying uh, healthy and, and safe where you are and, and that, you know, that you're finding some, maybe some extra time to hang out with your family, maybe spend some time on Skype with, with people you haven't talked to in a while, hopefully playing some games, hopefully finding some time, making some time to design some games, work on those game designs you've been putting off. Now is a great time. If you've been putting things off, you know, there's really no excuse at this point. Uh, you probably can't leave your house depending on where you're living. And so, hey, why don't you get out there and uh, design a game? And so I didn't know what was going to happen. So I wanted to wait and record this uh, now, uh, kind of as a, well, you know, this is what happened and this is why things are going this way or whatever. Or, hey, things are off to a really good start and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And so I'm, I'm glad to announce that things are going pretty well. They are actually exceeding my expectations pre-virus. So I was thinking through the numbers and kind of what I was hoping for. And I had an idea, you know, about a month ago of what I thought the campaign was going to do. And it's actually exceeded that uh, in spite of all the, the craziness of the world. And so that's, that's really cool uh, to see that. Really appreciate everyone who has backed the book so far. Uh, and if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, haven't checked it out, really hope you'll at least take a moment to, to look at it check out the page and see if it's something that you'd be interested in. Uh, if you're thinking about running a Kickstarter pay, uh, campaign, or if you've run one in the past and maybe you just want to figure out how to do it better, I really, really believe that this is a book that's going to provide a ton of value for you. It's going to really help you get kind of the inside look on how to crack the Kickstarter code, so to speak, and, and really try to help you, help you to figure out how to do it successfully, how to do it well. Uh, not necessarily to make a million dollars, all right? I'm not saying that. I'm not even going to say this is going to make you know guarantee your success. Nothing like that. But at least it'll help you develop a plan. It'll help you kind of open your eyes to know what you're getting into, right? Have your eyes open all the way as you get into this process. Because anyone who has run a Kickstarter campaign, they will tell you it is a process. It is a, a challenging thing, has all sorts of pitfalls, all sorts of pros, all sorts of cons. And so I wanted to develop a resource, develop a book that would kind of be a one-stop shop for people to uh, to go in and just kind of read through and, and find out uh, how to do it, how to do it effectively, what backers are looking for, uh, what successful creators are doing and, and different nuances about their campaigns that are bringing them success. And the campaign is going to run from March 17th through April the 9th. So again, if you have a chance, please check it out. All right, well, let's jump into these different excerpts from the book. Just some uh, different questions and answers that I was really impressed with, things that, I, that really got me going and got me thinking about uh, Kickstarter, maybe some different ways or just kind of reiterated uh, on some things that I, that I maybe already thought, but it's nice to have uh, you know, someone who's made, you know, $300,000 on their last campaign to kind of say the same thing you're already thinking just to affirm the, what you're thinking is accurate or it is correct. Sometimes it can be uh, easy to think that you're the only one, that you're you're the only crazy person that thinks a certain way. And it, it's nice to know that at least maybe there's some other crazy people out there that believe something some more. And as far as the questions go, so when I reached out to these uh, different creators, uh, basically I sent them uh, a Q&A, kind of a written style uh, interview, and there were 13 possible questions, and they could answer uh, as many as they wanted. I asked for a minimum of four to six, and if the spirit moved them, that they could uh, feel free to answer as many as they uh, felt excited about. And some creators wrote a great deal. Some creators wrote a little bit less, but uh, a lot of this information in here is just 
amazing and anything that's not amazing uh, there, you know, I feel like it's either redundant or maybe just not exactly uh, clear or something like that, then it'll get edited out for the final copy. But anyway, let's just jump into this first question. So the first one is what do you wish you would have known before running a Kickstarter campaign? And this excerpt comes from Aaron West, who's the founder of Eldra games and the designer of one of my absolute favorite games of all time, which is catacombs. And this is what he says. Ignore what Kickstarter promotes about bringing creative projects to life. That's simply nonsense. For tabletop games, the Kickstarter platform is for taking pre-orders, period. The days of a project being built around concept sketches are long gone. A tabletop game must be complete and playtested before a campaign is launched. Kickstarter does not prevent well-capitalized companies from using their platform either. A project from a first-time creator will directly compete with these well-capitalized and in some cases publicly traded companies. They will typically already have a base of fans on Kickstarter and will be able to outspend smaller teams on campaign advertising, product licenses, access to influencers, among other significant advantages. Some companies using Kickstarter are startups that are receiving funding from programs in their home country. It's not a level playing field in the slightest, and these larger and or more well-funded companies contribute to a rich-getting-richer effect on the platform. Backers are now extremely well-educated and spoiled for choice. If they don't like a campaign, they can easily pull their support and transfer it to the campaign next door. This freedom of choice and intensely competitive marketplace mean that companies must invest thousands of dollars into the campaign before they even launch. A campaign must include high-quality artwork, project videos, prototypes, review videos from influencers, a complete set of rules, and playthrough videos. And funds raised on Kickstarter are not free money from the internet. A successfully funded project represents a serious commitment to execute to the best of one's ability, and this is a process that's not for the faint of heart. Now, I realize that this might sound a little bit negative. It might be a little bit discouraging to you, but I hope you don't take it that way. Uh, Aaron, I know Aaron. Uh, he and I have talked at length uh, about kind of the issues uh, that Kickstarter is facing right now as far as the huge disparity between newcomers, you know, people just trying to get into uh, running a campaign and trying to get funded and things like that. And the kind of challenges they are up against versus, you know, these massive corporations, like I said, some of them publicly traded with millions of dollars in the bank, uh, you know, just bringing in tons of money, running tons of campaigns in a year. Everybody's in the same store. You know, everybody uh, is in the same situation of, of trying to bring in backers and, and get funding. And so you need to know that going in. Yes, you are trying to fund a dream, but you can't just look at it like that. This has to be business-minded. You're, you're creating a product for the marketplace. It has to look good. It has to be polished. It has to, to have a hook. Like It really needs to draw people in because you're competing against some pretty major players out there. And so just know that going in. Uh, if, you, if you're thinking, okay, I don't have any money, and so I'm going to run a Kickstarter to get some money to then do a game, then you're kind of starting with the wrong mentality. You have to have a little bit of money to get going because you're going to need some box art. You're going to need to pay for some preview videos and pay for some graphic design to make your page look good. Like it takes money to make money and this is no different. And so I was talking to a guy a while back and he said that he wanted to fund a game on Kickstarter and he didn't have you know money to really pay for the front end artwork and illustrations and things like that for cards and things along those lines. And so he ended up just selling a whole bunch of games out of his board game collection. He's like, you know, here's some games. Uh, I love these games, but I would much rather fund my own project. And so I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to sell as many games as it takes to get enough money to pay for illustrations, pay for graphic design, pay for everything that's going to go into the Kickstarter campaign. And so that's what he did. 
Uh, he ended up raising a little over $100,000 on Kickstarter. And so obviously that was a, a good sacrifice. That was a good trade. And so you have to be willing to do that. Uh, and if you're not, well, Kickstarter is not for you, right? It's it's not time yet. Uh, if you don't have enough money to even pay for box art or you know whatever it takes to get going, then it's not time, right? And so you need to kind of think through maybe saving some money, maybe taking money out of your every paycheck and just kind of putting it to the side and, and waiting, right? Be patient. That's something that came up over and over again in a lot of these interviews is, is be patient. You don't have to launch today. You don't have to launch tomorrow. Launch when you're ready. But just realize going in that you're creating a product. And so that it's a lot more to it than just hopping online and saying, hey, internet, give me free money. <laughs> that's that's not it at all. All right, let's move on. Next question. What is the best Kickstarter campaign page or pages you've seen and why? This answer comes from Helena Capel from Burnt Island Games. Uh, you might remember them from In the Hall of the Mountain King and also Endeavor. And she says, all of Roxley's Kickstarter campaigns blow all other campaigns out of the water. The graphic design is elegant. The information on the page is concise. The images are stunning. They run a nice, neat, and clean campaign every single time. I'm also really excited about the upcoming Mind MGMT Kickstarter. There are some really exciting gamey things happening on the page. I can't wait to see how backers engage with it. From my perspective, this is really how we should be running campaigns. Now, Roxley is the publisher behind Dice Throne, which has done extraordinarily well on Kickstarter. I'm not sure if it's made a million, but it's, it's, a, it's up there. It's made a lot of money. And their page is beautiful. It, it looks amazing. You cannot go to that page and think that this is anything but an extraordinarily professional company that knows what it's doing. You can trust them. They're obviously putting their money where their mouth is, that kind of thing. And so that's that's kind of what you want to do as well. You want to maybe not spend as much money as they're spending because you might not have it, right? But you want to do the best you can to look as professional as you can, especially if you're a first-time creator, right? Your, your biggest obstacle then is trust. People don't necessarily trust you. There's no reason for them to trust you. You haven't done anything to earn their trust. That is something that you can't uh, just have magically, right? You have to earn that from people. And so the better your campaign page looks, the more elegant, like it says here, uh, the better the art looks, the better graphic design, the more people are going to trust you. Now, then you have to obviously deliver on that trust. You, you can't uh, j just rely on the uh, appeal, the look alone. You have to then kind of deliver the game and hopefully on time, preferably early if you can. But it's definitely something to keep in mind on your page. And then Mind MGMT, that's from Jay Cormier. Uh, guy's been on the, the podcast in the past. And this is actually his first Kickstarter campaign he, or for a game. He's run, he did the uh, playtest journal, the fail faster playtest journal a while back, came on the show talking about that. And, and Jay, he's been in the industry a long time. Great designer, one of the best in the world. And for his Kickstarter campaign for the page, he is like basically hidden all these little Easter eggs and he's doing kind of like scavenger hunts. And his game is really interesting. It's a hidden movement game. And so he's found some really fun gamification kind of things to do on his page that it's keeping backers engaged. Uh, it's bringing people in. It, it's interesting. It's different, right? If, if every campaign starts doing this, then it's obviously going to lose its appeal. But his stands out, and that's that's what you want to do. You want your page to stand out. You want it to hook people in, uh, keep people engaged, especially through the kind of middle of the campaign. That's one of the questions I asked. I'll get to that in a little bit. But the middle of the campaign, it kind of slumps, you know, where, where you're not getting very many backers. You know, most backers come in in the beginning and at the very end, and the middle is kind of a lull. And so Jay's doing some really, really cool things in his campaign. So definitely go check that one out. Mind MGMT and anything from Roxley, R-O-X-L-E-Y games. The, the, their pages look phenomenal. All right, next question. What's your best advice for someone wanting to run a Kickstarter campaign? This answer comes from Ted Allspock from Bezier Games. You probably remember him from Suburbia and One Night Werewolf. And he says, 
over-prepare. Line up stretch goals for a best-case scenario and make sure that you can afford them. Triple-check shipping prices and add 20% to them because shipping prices might change by the time you ship. Give yourself a sizable buffer of at least two or more months for shipping. Think of everything that can go wrong, how much that will delay you, and then add two months to that. So Ted comes at this from a, a really good, you know, long before you launch perspective of really figuring out, okay, what are the what are the costs? What are the possible costs? What are the worst case scenario costs? What's the best case scenario as far as stretch goals? Let's say uh, I'm, I only need $20,000. Let's say I make a million dollars, right? Let me plan for that just in case. Because last thing you want to do is, is plan for 20 grand or need 20 grand, plan for 100 grand and make a million, right? Success has destroyed far more people on Kickstarter than failure has. Right, someone going in not anticipating the kind of reaction that they were going to get from backers, and then all of a sudden adding things to the game because they got super excited. That then caused the weight to go way up, caused the shipping prices to go way up, right? Fulfillment costs, all that stuff, and then you know they had a million dollar Kickstarter and then lost two hundred thousand dollars in the process. Right? And you think how is that possible? Well, it's because they didn't plan ahead. They didn't over prepare going in. Ted brings up a great point as far as uh, shipping. And the cost changing, so a lot of people don't realize, I didn't realize this until I got into it, uh, shipping prices across the board change pretty much every January. Almost guaranteed they're going to go up. 99% of the time they go up. Uh, it depends on the weight, depends on the class, depends on different things, but it's probably going to go up. So if you fund a Kickstarter in July and it doesn't ship until the following February, then your prices are going to be different. If you got that price quote for shipping and fulfillment in July, and then the new year rolls around, all the prices change in January, then obviously when you ship in February, the prices are going to be different. And so, you know, he says, add 20% just as a buffer, just to make sure that you're able to cover. Now, the prices probably aren't going to go up 20%, but just in case they do, right? It's, it's not unheard of. You know, a lot of times they're only going up 3%, 5%, a 9%, I think, is one of the price I was looking at from last year to this year. But, just do 20% just to be safe. Just be sure to cover your backside. All right, so again, know what you're getting into on the front end. All right, next question. What did the marketing plan look like leading up to your most recent campaign's launch? And this answer comes from John Covey, another guy that's been on the podcast in the past, uh, from Genius Games. And he's done games like Periodic, Cytosis, Genotype, which is uh, recently on Kickstarter, just had like 6,500 backers, just a really great campaign. This is what John says about his marketing plan. One of the most effective marketing tools a publisher has is their email list. It allows you to directly notify individuals who have already expressed interest in what you're producing. There are many ways to grow your email list, and some methods might attract a lot of people. But what you want the most is people who are actually interested in what you're making rather than just large numbers of people. Contact reviewers months in advance and try to get a trickle of reviews and buzz going about the game long before the campaign launches, so there's anticipation leading up to the launch. Write a press release or contact someone to write one for you and send it out to media outlets in your industry at least a week prior to launch. That'll give them a little more time to think about covering your campaign. And make sure you find and curate relationships with some of the more potent media outlets before sending the press release cold. Take your product to conventions and let people know they can be notified when it launches if they join your email list. This gets them familiar with the product and allows you to grow your list like discussed above. Think about running ads through Facebook once the campaign is fully funded. Paying for eyeballs is not something you want to spend money on until the campaign seems really credible because people likely don't know who you are. So the campaign needs to speak for itself. All right, lots to unpack. And that one, I won't necessarily go in depth on all these things. That's just great overall 
advice as far as marketing. I think email list, email list, email list. You know, sometimes I teach my seniors when we go through our business storytelling unit in my English class is don't build your company on somebody else's land, right? Don't build your company on Facebook, right? You, you can have something there, obviously, but you want to make sure you, you build your company on something that you own because overnight Facebook can decide that they want to change their algorithm. They want to change their policies. They want to kick you off the platform for whatever reason, right? And then you lose your entire business versus having an email list, which is something you own. You, 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 that's yours, right? They can't go in and, and, and take that away uh, like they can your Facebook page and things like that. And even in 2020, email is still the number one way to contact people directly. So always be building your email list every time you have an opportunity, right? One of the first things you need to do as far as marketing a game is have a landing page where you can collect email addresses, have some really cool art, maybe the box art, you know, maybe some details about the game and just start building the email list, you know, a year or more even ahead of time. And you definitely want to do this earlier rather than later, but start building that list. That way you can send that uh, list an email the day you launch and, and all the way leading up to it uh, to get people on board from day one. Uh, as far as press releases, that's going to depend on which industry you're in. Uh, John, he does a lot of, all of his games are science-based games. Uh, they're education kind of based games. They're not educational games. They're, they're really fun. They're too fun to be educational games, but you do learn some cool stuff in the process of playing his games. And so he is in a slightly different industry than if you're doing, you know, a science fiction game or a fantasy game, that kind of thing. And so if you've got a, a bit of a niche, then definitely think about this whole press release idea. You know, if you've got a, a game that kind of lends itself to the tech community or there's a game I consulted on a while back that was in the, the agricultural community. It was all about raising animals and breeding and, and basically trying to create the best horse and pig and, th and things like that. And so that guy, he had a lot of ends with that community and he was able to get a lot of uh, backers that had never backed a project ever before, didn't even know what Kickstarter was uh, because he was able to get featured in, in some of their, uh, I'm not sure if it was magazines or, or whatever, but it was, he, he was able to open up that community, that, that group of people because it was specific to that industry. Was, he knew, he knew he had a game that those people would be interested in and was able to get a, Get in, get in front of them. And so it's just something to think about if you're coming at a Kickstarter from a different angle. Uh, then conventions, obviously super important. Just going, you don't even necessarily have to have a booth. Just have space at a table. Just sit down, maybe throw a little banner on the on the table. Have your game there, ready to demo it, ready to show it to people. Again, that's another reason why you want it to look good. So as people walk by, they, they stop, they look at it, they go, hey, what's this? Tell me more. And you get a chance to maybe demo the game, play a few rounds, but then more importantly, add them to your email list to be able to contact them down the road. And then the Facebook ad thing is a really, very interesting uh, idea. This is not what, what everyone believes. You know, again, every answer is not necessarily law. You know, this is uh, a creator that has had success doing things one way or another, uh, but it's not necessarily the way you have to do it. And so I've seen lots of different ideas as far as Facebook ads. Uh, some people say you need to spend a lot of money even before you launch, kind of leading up to it. And, and the first couple of days, try to get as many eyeballs there on the, the project early as you can. Uh, here we have John saying, you know, wait until after you fund. So you want to fund in the first few days, you know, hopefully the first day. If you've done your marketing right, you'll fund, you know, within the first handful of hours, hopefully, if, if you've done a, a really good job with that. And then start pumping money into Facebook because uh, people want to back a winner. That's definitely the case. That's why there's so many uh, Patriots fans that don't live anywhere near New England <laughs> because people love to back a winner. They want to root for a winner. And so if they're coming to your, your campaign and it's already funded, then they're obviously much more likely to back it then if it's not fun, it's just the way our human psychology works. And so something to think about as far as Facebook ads, I'm not going to say that that's better or worse, but that's definitely a way to do it. And so if that works for you, then go for it. All right, next question. 
What was the biggest mistake you made before, during, or after a campaign, and how did you overcome it? This answer comes from James Hudson, another friend of the show. He's from Druid City Games slash Skybound Games. Uh, he's worked on some pretty sizable projects, uh, Trial by Trolley, which was humongous campaign, uh, Tidal Blades, Wonderland's War, which just wrapped up. Both of those games were, were massive as well. And this is what he has to say about his biggest mistake. The biggest mistake I made recently was letting our communication with backers slack after the campaign. It was around the holidays. I was stressed, overworked, and had planned on taking some time off. On top of that, the project, Tidal Blades, had hit a lull. I was waiting on freelancers to finish several small parts of the project, like tweaks to graphics and the rulebook, and we were also waiting on some final playtesting notes to come in for the solo mode. So overall, just really small stuff. There wasn't much of an update to share other than, we're waiting, and it's that time of year when people slow down and take time off. I went into the comments to let backers know these things, but we didn't put out an official update. At the time, I was trying to keep the updates reserved for substantial milestones, because if your updates aren't meaningful, some people will unsubscribe which means that they miss important fulfillment updates later, and inevitably they end up missing essential info and they forget to fill out the pledge manager. What this boils down to is that because I was trying to keep the updates reserved for important, quote-unquote, milestones, it now looks like there was a three-month lapse in communication. This caused some backers to be understandably concerned. Moving forward, we're dropping everything into the updates. As creators, the little things can seem inconsequential to us, but I think it's important to remember that backers aren't in the trenches with us. So even those little things can be engaging to someone outside the process. It's a really odd system we have to balance on Kickstarter, and there are norms that have surfaced over the years. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you think these norms are good or bad, they're here, and your backers know them. You have to play by those rules, or you will let your backers down. So this is a a really good point. For better or for worse, no matter what we think as creators, uh, no matter how frustrating or annoying it is that you know your Kickstarter campaign basically needs to launch on a Tuesday, or that you need to update, uh, uh, you know, once a month, every or twice a month, something like, like all these different norms have just kind of been established over the last few years, and so you need to know what those are. That's why it's so important to back projects yourself. You know, back even for a dollar, get on Kickstarter, back some projects. See how other people do it. See how really successful people do it. You know, if you want to be successful, you should do what successful people do. That, that seems like common sense, but, you know, it's not that common, it seems. And so if you see someone that's making a lot of money, got a lot of backers, you know, the funding is, you know, thousand percent of what they needed, then what are they doing, right? And so back it for a dollar. Even if you don't like the game, back it for a dollar just so you'll get the updates, just so you'll see how the campaign moves and ebbs and flows. You'll see how things uh, work after the campaign is over just to kind of get an understanding of these different norms. Hang out in the comment section. Just kind of see what people are saying, what kind of questions they're asking, what kind of comments that they're making. And this is a place where James, you know, as all of us as creators have done, he had an oversight and wasn't thinking. Uh, this happened to me recently where I'd accidentally gone a month uh, with my hunted campaign and I just, I forgot. I wasn't even thinking. Uh, there wasn't really anything to report. You know, the art was moving along. Things were going on. Uh, the holidays are, I had a similar situation. The holidays were slow down. So I had updated in December and then totally forgot about January. And somebody sent uh, or posted a comment. They were like, Hey, you know, I think it's first week of February. And they said, Hey, hadn't heard from me. It's like, Oh shoot. Yeah, you haven't, you haven't heard from me in all last month. So let me do an update real quick just to explain, Hey, where things are at, you know, no news, but you know, the good news is it's still moving. The good news is I'm still here. Things are still moving along. Uh, and if you can just figure out something uh, in an update, to kind of keep the backers engaged, even just posting one new piece of art, one new thing from your development stage, whatever's going on. But yeah, this is really, really good advice. All right, moving on to the next question. How do you deal with the mid-campaign slump? 
This answer comes from Frank West. You might know him from uh, the publisher City of Games. He did City of Kings and Isle of Cats more recently. This is what he says. We all know the middle of a campaign is slower than the start and the end. And these days, many people are reducing the length of their campaigns to avoid it. Personally, I see the middle of the campaign as a way to experiment, build community, and to spread the word to the furthest parts of the internet. The key thing is to have a plan. Don't wait until the middle of your campaign has arrived. Before you launch, you should write down what you're going to do and on which days. I released a three-part comic, one part per week during the mid-campaign, ran live streams, and balanced this with a social media presence that made our latest campaign's middle stronger than the start or the end. So it can be done. Yeah, this is interesting stuff. Something I was talking about with uh, Jay Cormier's Mind MGMT campaign as well. It's figuring out interesting ways, fun ways to engage backers, right? And don't even necessarily think of it as, okay, how am I going to get more backers? Uh, think of it how it, maybe as, how am I going to serve the backers that are already here better? Because what you're trying to do, honestly, is not just create backers. It's not just create customers. You're trying to create raving fans. If you can create raving fans, then you will be able to go full-time in this industry, right? If you can create, I think the number I saw, I was reading just an incredible book about this. The number was a thousand. And so if you can create a thousand raving fans for your work, you can go full-time basically no matter what industry you're in. And the ones they focused on were writing and uh, music. So if you're a musician, just a thousand raving fans that will buy your, your next album when it releases or your next book when it comes out. If you can create a thousand raving fans, right? Not customers, not clients, not backers, raving fans. That is the key to be able to do this full time if that's what you want to do, right? Or at least in this case of, of Kickstarter, that's the way to have really, really successful campaigns. Because what do raving fans do is they become marketing for you. They give you so much free marketing of just going out and telling their friends, talking about it in Facebook groups, posting pictures on Instagram, posting videos online, you know, of, of playing the game or, or talking about the game, podcasters doing the same thing. And then those messages go out further. A person is much more likely to trust a friend that tells them about a product than they are to trust the person who is trying to sell the product, right? And so if you're trying to find a really good restaurant, a lot of times you'll ask someone you're really close to, you'll say, hey, where's a good restaurant? I want to, where's the best pizza in town? Where's the best hamburger in town? You're going to ask that person because you trust them to tell you the truth. So middle of the campaign, great way to create raving fans to serve them like Frank did with some comics some live streams, different things on social media, just to kind of drum up excitement with the backers you already have because they're going to help you bring more people in. Now, I've seen other campaigns that use Facebook ads, all sorts of different things. This is, again, not the end-all, be-all one answer, but this is just a really cool way to look at it. All right, next question. What makes a game a good product for Kickstarter? This comes from Justin Jacobson at Restoration Games. You might know him from Fireball Island and more recently, Return to Dark Tower. And those campaigns, you know, they made they made a dollar too. Yeah, those were, uh, those were uh, some million, multi-million dollar campaigns. And so let's see what he has to say about products on Kickstarter. They need to be visually appealing. They need to offer a new experience, but with touchstones common to backers' existing games so that they can see what it's likely to do and how it's likely to be a new experience. It's also better if they're easy to add incremental content to, for example, extra cards, so a good way to make stretch goals. Now this question got lots of different answers from lots of different people. I like this one especially though because it focuses on a few different things that I think are very very important. Uh, first thing, visually appealing. If your game does not look good on a Kickstarter campaign page, on the project page, somebody goes there and it doesn't look great, doesn't look excellent, good luck. Like that's all I can, that's all I can give you. Good luck to you. 
It's, it's probably not going to happen. You're probably not going to fund. Unless your funding goal is $1,000 and you're funding the rest of the money yourself, you are probably not going to fund if your game doesn't look good. You're definitely not going to overfund. You're definitely not going to you know do anything crazy. And so it's got to look good. You've got to put money into the art, to the graphic design. It's got to be polished. People are going to judge your game by its cover. They're going to judge your game by the, the project image, right? As they're kind of scrolling through Kickstarter and just looking at the bird's eye view of these different campaigns and looking at the little blurbs and things like that. They're going to judge how the game looks in that one picture. They're going to judge you, especially if they land on your project page and they see how the game's laid out on the table with the different pieces or miniatures or cards or boards, whatever it is. They're going to judge by the way it looks. So you got to know that going in. Put your money there. The next thing, new experience. But at the same time, similar to other games, but it also shows a, a new experience. This is something that you might run into if you have a brand new, never seen before, never done before thing, it's actually going to be a little bit harder sell because people aren't sure what it is. And if they're not sure what it is, then it's, if it's unclear, you, clarity is such a monumental thing when it comes to marketing. The best products don't sell. That's just, just the way it is. The products with the clearest message, they sell. And so you got to be very, very clear about what your game is, what it does, how it plays, why it's fun, why somebody should buy it. Be clear about the experience. And he brings up a good point about being able to add extra stuff to it. And so, you know, I've run into a situation where it's like, oh, this would be a really cool game. Uh, I'm going to need to kickstart it. And it's like, well, but this is it. This is this is the game. Uh, there's not much more I can add to it. I guess I can kind of shoehorn some extra cards, maybe, maybe some alternate art. Something like it, it gets hard sometimes to figure out ways to add cool stuff to games. And it's just one of those norms. People on Kickstarter expect stretch goals. Now, there's all sorts of cool ways to do it. And I, and I love some of the new ideas that people are coming up with as far as stretch goals, but it's just one of those norms. You don't have to do it. I right? don't feel like you have to, but it is an expectation. It is something that people have become accustomed to. So know that going in. And so think through, okay, can I add extra content to this game? What does that look like? How do I space these out as stretch goals? That kind of thing. Just some things to be thinking about if you want to do well on Kickstarter. All right, next question. How do you maintain your health and sanity during a campaign? This answer comes from Kirk Dennison from Peacekeeper Games. You might remember him from Rurik, Dawn of Kiev. This is what Kirk says. Two practical steps I have taken to reduce stress during Kickstarter campaigns are turning off phone notifications and responding to backer comments and messages during specific time windows. You will drive yourself crazy if you see all the real-time activity, comments, and messages during your campaign. This can be true with both smaller campaigns, as fewer notifications may imply the campaign is not doing well, and larger campaigns as you may be constantly overwhelmed with activity. Regarding backer communications, you will spend less time and energy on comments and messages by replying during dedicated blocks of time each day rather than responding on the fly throughout the entire day. Now, this is something I am currently in the middle of. Uh, obviously, as a, you know, we're running a Kickstarter right now, I think, man, I got maybe four hours of sleep last night. And part of that was my son who decided, oh, Oh, Dad, Oh, you, you got important stuff to do tomorrow? Cool. Well, I'm going to make sure you are really tired when you do those things. You're welcome. I'm just going to help raise the challenge level. I'm going to help create a bigger obstacle. That way, when you overcome it, you feel better about yourself. I think that's what he was doing. He was just thinking about me, you know? And so he was up all last night, kept me up for a lot more hours than I would have wished. But that's just the way things go. And so I'm thinking through, okay, how in the world do I maintain my health during this time? I think that's what everybody's thinking about at this current moment is washing their hands 47 times a day, but this is something to be aware of. Uh, and this question got a lot of similar answers out there of basically you don't. <laughs> Several people saying you don't, you don't take care of your health. You don't take care of your sanity. You, you just hope for the best for three weeks 
and then uh, try to pick up the pieces when you get done. I don't think that's the best way to live. I know that's the way a lot of people do it. Uh, that's the way I'm trying not to do it right now. And I love Kirk's advice here. Turn the notifications off. So my phone has been lighting up all day long. I need to go in and I need to practice what I'm preaching here. I need to go in and turn those notifications off. At the same time, I didn't have to work today. You know, I'm working from home. I guess I did. I'm working from home. And so it wasn't that big of a deal, but I, I can see where if your campaign is not doing very well. So give you an example. So the first hour of the campaign today when it launched, it didn't do very much. Like there wasn't much going on. And I started playing through all the scenarios. Oh no, people don't want to book like this. Uh, you know, it was too specific of a product. It's not what people ended up wanting. I thought it was, maybe it's not, you know, all this stuff with the virus and different things, thinking about this and that and the other. And so you start playing all these scenarios because, you know, the phone's not lighting up. I'm not getting the notifications of backers coming in. Uh, and then by the, that was the first hour. And then by the third hour, uh, they had launched, the game had fun or the book had funded, you know? And so again, you, you start playing all these mind games because of the different notifications. You're not getting enough. You're getting too many. It's overwhelming. It's not anything at all. And so it's probably best turn notifications off, have a plan going in of how you're going to exercise, how you're going to take care of yourself as far as drinking enough water, eating enough meals, uh, eating right, you know, maybe figuring out some ahead of time, some and kind of pre-planning your meals. Nutrition is so vital, especially during this time. You, you might not get enough sleep, especially if you've got a day job. And so you're doing your normal nine to five kind of thing. And then you're trying to you know answer comments and answer messages, whatnot through the day. And you come home, you, you have a ton to do. I love Kirk's advice here as far as setting up a specific window, you know, all right, from 7 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., I'm going to answer comments and messages then. And then maybe also in the evening, maybe 6 to 8 p.m., something like that. But setting up specific times and also, you know, just kind of being upfront about that, uh, letting backers know, maybe through an update or something like that. Hey, here's my windows. Here's my blocks of time. I'm going to do this. And so if you don't hear from me during the middle of the day, you know, I'll, I'll, I promise I'll get your message at 6 o'clock in the evening when I get home from work, whatever it is. Uh, again, communication is so critical, so key in these situations. But when you can focus and, and you can go through, you know, 10 messages, 15 comments all in the same window. It, it's actually a lot more efficient than trying to answer 10 comments, 15 messages, whatever, over the course of the day. And so that's some really good advice there and some things that I'm probably going to be doing over the next three weeks, honestly. All right, next question. What's your best advice for creating campaign updates? And this answer comes from Jamie Stegmeyer, the OG of Kickstarter. Guy that actually hasn't used Kickstarter in quite some time, but he's still a, a guru for most people as far as Kickstarter as a platform. Uh, from Stonemire Games, Scythe, his latest campaign, even though several years ago, did really, really well. Launched his entire company into just doing some incredible stuff. This is what he says about campaign updates. I receive so many project updates these days that I really appreciate updates where the very top of it summarizes all of the important points, followed by a graphic or a photo, and then all the details. I think I'd read a lot more updates, or at least part of them, if they were structured in this way. Beyond that, I appreciate consistent updates, any news is better than no news, like I talked about before, and transparency. Backers understand that not everything is going to go exactly as planned, so it's how you present it, respond to it, and fix it that matters. I love this idea. This is a really cool way to structure your, your campaign updates, right? Having almost the, the too long didn't read section at the top for people who just want, give, just give me the facts. Give me, Straight to the facts. Do I need to read it? Is this important to me? Is this something that I have to respond to? I need to do something, especially when it comes to like the pledge manager and backer surveys, things like that. So giving people almost like a little bulleted list up at the top and saying, okay, here's the main points, right? New art, new backer poll, right? The very top, having a cool picture, maybe some up, you know, updated art or you play testing the game, whatever it is. And then down below that, a more detailed explanation about 
the art, about the backer pole, about whatever you're doing. And so people, they can see it and they go, oh, okay, I want to read about this. This is interesting to me. I'll scroll down and read the rest. Or, or okay, this is, this is cool. I don't care. This doesn't apply to me. Moving on, right? I think it's a really cool way to structure updates. Just something to think about. Next question. What would you tell someone who just ran a campaign that failed to fund? This answer comes from Carla Kopp, friend of the show, big fan of Carla and her work from over at uh, Weird Giraffe Games. She's done Fire in the Library, Stellar Leap, and also Tumbletown, which I think is uh, still on Kickstarter right now as of recording this. So please go check that one out. It's doing pretty well. Very interesting little Western game. This is what she says. Look back and really analyze why your campaign failed. You can take a few months and relaunch your campaign and maybe fund, but it might be a better idea to work on a different project and really make that one shine and then return to your failed project later. Learn what you can and don't feel like you have to work on a project just because you've put in so much effort so far. Be honest with yourself as every game doesn't need to be a product and you haven't really failed if you've learned from what you've experienced. This is really good advice. A lot of people I've seen out there, they'll fail and then they'll want to relaunch two weeks later. It's like, well, maybe it's not time. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe there's like a, a big glaring problem with your campaign. You fix that and you, you'll fix the funding. But maybe you need to take a step back, maybe work on something else. Maybe maybe the project was too big, right? Maybe you need to $50,000 and you're a first-time creator. And so you need to take a step back and, and put that one on the back burner and do a $10,000 campaign and build some trust and build some you know raving fans like I already talked about. Build a, a fan base, build a customer base. And then maybe launch that big project down the road once you've already built up some trust. You know, you've delivered another project. You've shown people that you can deliver high quality pro products and things like that. But like she says, not every game should be a product. I think, I think that's one thing a lot of people don't realize. They, they create a game that works. They create a game that's pretty fun, but maybe doesn't actually belong in the marketplace for whatever reason. So it's also something you really just have to be honest with yourself about. Now, hopefully you've asked these questions before you launched your Kickstarter. Uh, that's going to be the, the best way to make sure you don't fail uh, a campaign. But you definitely want to find people that you trust. You know, the Board Game Design Lab Facebook group is a great place to, uh, to do this. Uh, be able to ask questions and say, hey, why do y'all think this didn't work? You know, ask your backers, ask the people that did back the game. Hey, what can I do to make this better? One, you're going to get some really good answers. Two, that's going to bring those people even closer. That's going to help make them even more raving fans because you're seeking their advice. You're seeking their ideas on ways to make it better. They are your target demographic. They're your target audience. And so definitely listen to what they have to say, uh, but also find you know other people around, other successful creators, uh, designers, whatever, that will be very, very just brutally honest with you about what needs to be fixed. You know, I have failed a campaign and then relaunched it uh, to success later. And so I know what this is like. It is not fun. It is not enjoyable. It, it's, it's very frustrating. You know, you, you put so much time, money, effort, energy, you know, not getting enough sleep, all these different things into a project. And then it doesn't do what you hoped, right? It doesn't even do enough to fund. And uh, that's, that's a difficult thing. And so just know that it, it's a painful thing, but it's not the end. You can always reload, relaunch later down the road, but you want to make sure you're listening to other people and, and figuring out how to be successful next go around. All right, next question. What's your best advice for the fulfillment process after the game is manufactured? This answer comes from Peter C. Hayward from Jelly Bean Games. Peter is honestly one of my favorite people in the industry. Uh, he's been on the show a couple of times. He's actually got another episode coming up here pretty soon. Uh, I'm, I just really love that episode. I think you're going to get a lot out of this next one he, he's on. And he's done games like Dracula's Feast. And, and he does like smaller card games, uh, gateway games that have just phenomenal artwork. Anyway, I love his company. And uh, his is a short, an short answer, but I really like what it has to say. 
as far as dealing with fulfillment after manufacturing. He says, get a full sample from your manufacturer and play a full game with that sample. There's nothing worse than sending the game out to everyone and then realizing that it's missing something. This, I, I cannot stress this enough because this is something I ran into and it cost me some money. And so I want to make sure that you are not driving down the same road uh, that I have, that I'm assuming that Peter has as well. Uh, learn from our mistakes. So my personal example with the Final Frontier, I got the sample copy in from the manufacturer. It looked good. I was happy with the quality, the art and the, the color and everything came out really, really well. And so I made sure I went through all the cards. I went through the boards or the play mats, uh, went through the tokens. I made sure everything looked the way it was supposed to. Everything was fine. There were a couple uh, errors in the, in the graphic design, different things. I noticed, you know, as far as like some icons were missing and different things were the, kind of the layer in the Photoshop file. Basically, a layer got on top of another one and wasn't, it, made, it made it look funny, that kind of thing. And so I was like, oh, this is obvious. And so we were able to fix that and for the final. But I didn't play the game. Had I played the game uh, with that sample copy, I would have noticed that one of the ability cards was wrong, that I made a mistake in my communication with the graphic designer and we did not update one of the faction ability cards to the final version. It still had the previous one that and it went, after it went through a bunch of playtesting, I had to update one, I had to tweak one of the, the special abilities to make it more balanced and it just didn't get updated for the final. It got updated in the rule book, but not on the final ability card. And that was just my mistake. And had I played the game with that card, it would have been very, very obvious. But since I was just looking through everything and just kind of looking to make sure things were there and icons were in the right place and the color was good and all that, I didn't notice that the ability was incorrect. And so, and also there was one of the um, mission cards that had the wrong name of a planet. And so again, these are minor things, but it now feels like the game is, is incomplete. It feels like the game is, is, is wrong. And so I ended up after shipping all the, the copies of the game and then, and then later realizing it once backers were getting it in their hands and you know, getting some emails and saying, Hey, what, why does it say this in the rule book and then say this on the card? And I was like, Oh no, no. And then having to go back to the manufacturer, I guess I didn't have to, but I really wanted to uh, make sure I was delivering over delivering as best I could. I want to make sure people got the game that I intended for them to have. And so I went back to the manufacturer said, Hey, we need to print these uh, two cards, this, this mission card and this faction card. And so got those printed, uh, air shipped them to the States, got them fulfilled. And that cost me, I don't know, five or $600 overall, which is not crazy. It's not terrible. You know, 500 bucks, 600 bucks. It's not awful. You know, luckily this was not a huge campaign. You know, if, if I'd had 10 X on number of backers, then that would have been a 10 X problem. So instead of $500, that all of a sudden becomes a $5,000 issue. And that now that's some real money there. And, and so that was actually for the best that, you know, the campaign wasn't this massive uh, successful thing. But it's just something to think about. When you get the sample copy in, play the game. Don't just look at it. Don't just put it on your shelf and go, hey, I made something. No, play it. Have some friends come over, you know, buy them some pizza, hang out, play the game, play it with the different faction abilities, whatever you got to do. Make sure everything looks good. And then push the big green button to say, all right, print a thousand of these. It's one of those situations of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Definitely want to be on that front end side. All right, next question. If you've run multiple campaigns, what did you do differently and why? This answer comes from Mark Nidlinger from Orange Nebula, the creators of Vindication and more recently Unsettled, a couple of games that have done super well on Kickstarter. This is what he says. Each campaign has tended to focus more and more on our community, their wants, their needs, and their feedback. Listening with an open mind leads to insights that you never would have seen coming with a laser focus on funding only. Customers are not dumb. In fact, they are incredibly smart and perceptive. They'll notice 
the little things. So Arn Zebula, they run some fantastic campaigns, and they are just experts on community engagement. Again, raving fans. They have created raving fans for their games, for their company. And Mark brings up a great point here of asking your fans, asking your customers, what do you want? What do you need out of this game? What is your feedback? What do you think? I know in Unsettled, they let backers basically create their own scenario, uh, kind of put together their own scenario for the game, which is such a cool thing. And it feels good too. When, when you get the game in the mail and then you bust out that scenario and you know that you contributed, your, your vote, your idea, your comment, your contribution, whatever, led to this thing being real, right? And then you get to play that with your friends and you kind of get that feeling of, hey, you know, I helped make this. That's a cool thing. And people love to feel that way. It's one of the best things about Kickstarter is that you can build a community around the game and people feel invested, not just financially, but also emotionally. They feel like they are part of the reason that this game exists. And it's true. They are, right? But it's, it's more than just money. You give them an opportunity to feel like they're on the team, like they're a part of this on a much deeper level than just typing their credit card number into a form. And so just kind of keep that in mind. Realizing that your Kickstarter backers are extraordinarily intelligent people and probably have some really cool ideas, probably have some really good ideas on how to make your game better. Just ask them. You don't have to take their advice necessarily, but at least ask, right? At least give them the opportunity to contribute because you might end up some really cool ideas that make your game a much better product. And it's cool how Mark and Orange Nebula have figured this out with every campaign. They've run several campaigns and all their campaigns, I think, have done really, really well. And so they've learned this over time is, okay, for each campaign, we need to focus more and more on this specific audience. Again, building community. All right, last question. Looking to the future, how do you think Kickstarter is going to change? And what can future creators do to adjust? This answer comes from Kurt Covert from Smirk and Dagger Games. And Kurt's interesting because he's a publisher that has been in the game a long time in the game. Uh, has been around for a long, long time and just recently got into using Kickstarter to fund games. He funded everything out of pocket for years and years, uh, close to two decades, I believe. And so it was just now getting into Kickstarter. And so I really wanted to reach out to a guy like him and get his perspective on things coming from the other side. You know, most of us are coming at this like, you know, Kickstarter is our first thing. You know, we're, we're getting into the industry by publishing a game that we funded through Kickstarter, where Kirk has been in the industry for a long time, and he's just getting into Kickstarter for his, you know, 20th game or 30th game, whatever it is uh, for him. And so he had an interesting perspective. And so this is what he says about the future. It's changed so much already and will continue to evolve as the game industry changes. The original idea was to allow those who might never be able to produce a game to be enabled by passionate believers. 16 years ago, I could have avoided funding my first game by having to take out a second mortgage on my house, which I don't recommend. Then it became such excellent marketing for a project that a strong Kickstarter could make significant waves in the marketplace before it even released. Companies of all sizes jumped into the fray. For more established companies, it allowed pet projects to come into being that wouldn't have seen the light of day otherwise. But lowering the bar to a level where anyone had a possibility of producing their dream opened the marketplace with exponential growth that it now struggles to support. The traditional distribution system buckled, unable to appropriately stock all the titles in a year. And that's what drove me, finally, to Kickstarter. Small to mid-sized publishers now need the support and cash flow to stay in business or to vet projects before they reach the marketplace. Kickstarter levels the playing field and puts the consumer at the center. There will always be room for someone new with an amazing idea to publish their dream, but the increasing importance of a company's community of fans will ensconce publishers of all sizes to participate. And for each, knowing how to look at your product and discover and showcase those elements within it to entice and excite consumers becomes more important than ever. There's almost no room for a quote-unquote good game anymore. 
So continue until you have crafted a great game with a compelling hook that draws hearts and minds to it. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's where we're headed. That's where kind of we already are, and it's just going to become that way more and more uh, as big companies more and more use Kickstarter as a way to fund their projects and keep cash flow going. That's such a difficult thing in the board game industry is making sure you have cash on hand, you know, being liquid and being able to kind of fund the next print run and shipping and art and things like that for the next project and stuff along those lines. And that's kind of where we started, you know, knowing what you're getting into before you do it and just having your eyes wide open along the way. And so this is, this is encouraging. You know, there is plenty of room. Uh, I believe the best games are still yet to be made. I believe someone listening to this podcast right now has just an incredible game inside them. Maybe a prototype that they're already working on, maybe a game that's already in playtesting and development that's going to hit, hit Kickstarter here pretty soon and make a million bucks. I, I firmly believe that that is the case. And so just know that there is room for your project. There is room for your product. There is room for your game, but it's got to be excellent. It's got to look good. It's got to draw people in. It's got to have a hook. It's got to be a great product. It's just all these things to be thinking about before you start traveling down this road and then thinking through shipping and fulfillment and how you're going to handle stretch goals and updates on the thing, all these different things. So many different aspects about Kickstarter. And that's why I wanted to write this book. Why I wanted to create this resource is to help people have a, a one-stop shop resource uh, of what do I do? How do I do it? Where do I begin? How do I get better at this? What are the best creators on the planet? What are they doing? And how can I go from zero to funded? So again, the book is just packed full of interviews of top creators on the planet. And also it's going to have a, a ton of articles and essays uh, on more specific topics, whether talking about marketing, shipping, fulfillment, stretch goals, all those different things, uh, just from my own personal experience and other contributors as well. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, a lot of it's already been written. You can get a sample. There's five chapter uh, samples you can download on the campaign page if you want to see other things that are that are in the book. And so I'm just really excited to get it into your hands. So again, if this all sounds like something that's interesting to you, please check out the campaign. It's live from March 17th until April 9th. It's board game Kickstarter advice from the best in the world. So that's all I got for this episode. Really, really appreciate you listening. Stay safe out there. Keep washing your hands 47 times a day. Take advantage of this time. Spend some time with your family. Hang out with uh, people on online or through Skype or whatever. Call that person you haven't talked to in a while that you've been meaning to, but you hadn't had a good opportunity. Now you got that time. And definitely make some time for game design. I'm really excited to see what comes out uh, of this this experience. Uh, this is a challenge. It's a huge obstacle. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what you got going on, right now is a challenging time to be alive in the world. But I see it just as an incredible opportunity for some really amazing things to come out of it. And so hopefully uh, you'll, you'll share that kind of positive outlook on this experience with me uh, in light of a lot of negative things going on. I hope you stay healthy. I hope you're doing well. I hope your family's doing well. And good luck with whatever game projects you're working on and everything else you got going on right now. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?